Hello. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Inside Social Work podcast. So this is episode 43, um, slowly creeping up to 50, which is super exciting. Um, so I'm podcasting from um, the lands of the Wurundjeri people, so I wanted to pay my respects to um, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, uh, pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. And I'd like to introduce our guest, Caitlin Fitzpatrick. Um, Caitlin, do you mind starting with an acknowledgement of country? Because you're somewhere a little different from me today. Yeah, so I'm currently um, on the lands of the meeting, the traditional meeting place of the Jawan, Dugaman and Waterman people. Um, and I repay my respects to elders past, present, emerging. And for those um, listeners who don't know where that is, where are you? So in, the... in Catherine in the Northern Territory. So about three and a half hours from Darwin, um, in like the top end, and probably 13 hours from Alice Springs. So quite a way away. Yes. Uh, and tell us a little bit about your background. So um, before you ended up in the top end, how did you start off? Where did your journey take you kind of career-wise and even just sort yeah. of study-wise? Yeah, so I'm a bit of a new grad, so I'm officially two and a bit years out um, post-graduating I did a I did my degree at La Trobe so I did a Bachelor of Human Services Master of Social Work um, and graduated the start of 2019 um, and I worked in Melbourne for the first nine or ten months in um, complex homelessness outreach um, so I did a case management and advocacy and everything under the sun that comes with homelessness and then I made the decision to move up to the Northern Territory <clears throat> and I started working at um, doing a job, like a, at Relationships Australia, doing a um, children's counsellor role. So it was trauma counselling for predominantly Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children, um, focusing on family work and group work. So I ran a program called Drumbeat. So developing relationships using music, beliefs, emotions, attitudes and thoughts, um, which is a Holyoke program, which I learned on my first placement that I did in Broken Hill. Um, so I ran a drumbeat group out in a like remote community about an hour and a half out of Catherine at a school with eight to 12 year olds. So that was really fun. Um, so I did that for maybe Maybe it was like 10 months as well. And then I got the opportunity to move into the role I'm currently in now, which is a dual diagnosis clinician in an Aboriginal controlled health service. Um, and, yeah, so I do case management, counselling, advocacy, court support, you name it, um, in a very interesting context. Um, and last year while I was... Still working at Relationships Australia and like started where I am now. I completed a grad set of um, AOD counselling online. Excellent. So a lot of um, extra skills on top of your degree in a very short time. Mm, yeah. Do you enjoy the learning? Are you? Do you sort of? I I like it when I say I'm going to sign up and do it. Um, but then I. St- I, I struggle, like I like learning um, and like I really, like I enjoyed uni. I do 
I definitely have learned a lot, especially in the contexts that I've worked. I've been kind of thrown in the deep end very quickly in the roles I've had. Um, there's been no hand-holding or like what's shadowing or anything like that. Um, I was, you know, given clients and free reign from the very beginning, um, which has forced me to learn very, very quickly. Um, and, yeah, I still, you know, like I'm always – like when people like new things come up or there's articles out or things like come across my vision I'm always like oh that's new and exciting so a bit of uh bright shiny objects <laughs> yes very much so yeah I have um, a stack of books that I I don't know if you can maybe see on the background there but this huge yeah. stack of books that um I've bought this year that I'm get, working my way through so definitely um yeah. understand that but having um having said that You've done quite a bit. Um, the the episode that uh, I recorded just before our chat, which will um, be released the, the fortnight before, so for people listening, mm-hmm. you can go to to last um, the last episode. Um, we're talking with a recruiter who we really stressed the importance of actually upskilling, and if you're interested in something, to um, to do a little short course or to enrol in an extra um, PD because it not only shows you're eager to learn, but it sometimes it's it helps you in the job, uh, helps you do your job yeah. better. Yeah. Um, and the graduate, the degree itself is just the starting point. Um, yeah. I really, I really don't, um, I really believe it's the sort of, that's just the starting point. That's the minimum you needed to get your foot in the door. And now you you need to upskill and you need to specialise. And, um, you know, I don't know about your course, but we had one class on mental health. Um, yeah. in the whole kind of course so you know I needed to do extra studies and I did an extra uh, grad dip um, it's the degree is just the start <laughs> yeah 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 for sure for sure yeah so yeah I yeah I did my grad grad cert which I can continue on yeah <laughs> we'll decide if I'm when I'm going to pick up subjects again but yeah I really um I did my first my second placement in a homelessness service um, working with complex AOD um and I really enjoyed like the aspects of like harm minimization and like safe injecting and all that kind of stuff and like I learned a lot I did a lot of PD while on placement um around those kind of things around HIV, Hep C, um safe injecting naloxone like all those kind of things and yeah it's definitely knowledge that like my peers and stuff don't have so whenever anyone will listen, I will hand that knowledge out. Like I walked past a colleague who was doing something on like um, needle stick injuries and I was explaining about how like a needle stick injury and the difference between like likelihood of getting a disease, like a bloodborne virus from a needle stick versus injecting drugs and like why that's different and like why the chances are higher because lots of people don't know around why it's different and you know treatments for hep c now and the, the antivirals for hiv and all those kind of things that are now available and like reducing that stigma is what i've definitely and done a lot of up here because the drug use profile in catherine is very very different to where i was working in st kilda in melbourne um so it was a lot of like not relearning but like changing my view on like noticing people in the street and 
not having to carry naloxone everywhere with me and all those kind of things that changed when I came up here. Um, and, yeah, I've done a lot of trying to reduce the stigma, especially around, like, methamphetamine to ice um, in Catherine because it gets quite demonised um, by clients and also by services. Um, and there's a lot of misconceptions around you know, ice causes violence and all those kind of things. Like, well, that's true. They're not a causal thing. Um, so I've done a lot of, to anyone who will listen, <laughs> about, you know, the differences and, like, why that might cause someone that and, mm. you know, other drugs can also, like, comorbidity and trauma and all those kind of things yeah, play so a role in the effect. Yeah, so a lot of that sort of social work um, advocacy value really coming out there, but having backed it up with some additional training so you can advocate with some with some facts and with some clarity around what you're saying. Yeah, for sure. And I think stigma, um, you know, while, while we're talking about that is if we know it prevents people from getting the right support, either they, they get it way, way later than they could have and we're reducing opportunities for... Um, health promotion and that's not just with drug and alcohol we know that with mental health as well like it's the, the stigma redu- like I think I think we have this idea that if we kind of judge it the people will stop doing it but all it does is um, it makes it hard to get the right help um, and there can be self-stigma as well like maybe well maybe I am um, not worth it and you know if this is what the, the people are saying about it, maybe I am like that. So it's not instilling a lot of hope for recovery and for rehabilitation or even just um, doing things differently and reaching out for support. So that stigma um, really prevents people getting help. Yeah, and I think, like, there's extra layers when working, like, in the context I do with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people around shame um, and, like, cultural kind of understandings of mental illness, so, like, being sung, Um, or black magic are things that come up and also like cultural practices and um, like narratives around people just being mad ones like they're crazy they're mad there's something wrong with them when you know they're actually like mentally ill Um, and yeah like the like the shame that is so like common with like my client group really really stops people from talking about what's going on because it's just like it's kind of I guess it's not really my place to say but I guess from like what I've seen it like it really that shame stops people talking it stops people coming out of their houses it stops people seeking help and it can be really really detrimental and you know Catherine's got one of the highest suicide rates in the NT um and yeah we need and there's and we've got all this all the all the campaigns you can think of all the you know mental health aod suicide sexual health you name it we've got a campaign for it but the health rates and stuff aren't getting better it must be very difficult to um to be a part of yeah yeah, definitely, like, yeah, it's definitely, yeah, because you, you see all this money 
thrown at all these programs and all these things. And like a lot of the time, like the decisions about stuff are like made in Darwin and made in government. And like it gets down to us on the ground and we're like, and you want us to do what with this? And you, you actually think that what? Like the disconnect between like the people making the decisions and the people that are like the people who really need help are so, mm. so far apart. And, you know, like just like even trying to get like obviously I live in a remote town and like while we have more services than like a remote Aboriginal community, for example, like there's no OT. There's one psychiatrist. <laughs> um, you know, like the, the options aren't there, like to get things assessed, to get things changed, to get people the help that they need isn't there. There's, you know, like the NT mental health service and then there's like where I work that do like technically clinical mental health care and that's it. So, like, in town, if you're over 25, there's probably maybe, like, five people you could see mm. um, servicing, you know, 10 to 15,000 people. Actually, probably less because they're, oh, no, because, yeah, 10 to 15. It's insane. Yeah, and then, I mean, the the... The complexities um, in that side of the world or in that part of Australia are very, um, they're very complex and there's a lot of things happening. How do you, on the ground, you know, we, we know you've just said there's very few clinicians, practitioners. Um, I'm sure that goes across the whole spectrum of different health, physical and mental health. Yep. How does that impact your work? So in particular, any sort of unique circumstance around either boundaries or your own kind of care? Like how do you you know, you'd have practitioners who are both, you know, your GP is also your colleague in a way, like you don't have that same choice that we would have here in Melbourne where, um, you know, I, I don't have to see, you know, my GP um, in the context of a client work. Like there's a lot of um, choice here and variety um, and boundaries are a bit uh, easier to maintain. Yeah. Uh, how do you, how do you navigate that space? It definitely took a, it took a bit. Like when I first, like I moved from Melbourne to Catherine um, in the space of a week, like, you know, like I packed Melbourne and like moved to Catherine and then I started work and I was like, okay, cool, I'm here now. And, yeah, no one, no one kind of prepares you for like seeing your clients at Woolies every day, um, <laughs> you know, playing, like I play softball, like playing softball with like parents or like, no one no one prepares you and especially in Catherine like obviously Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture like there's a lot of family connections and there are lots of big families where I live and everyone's connected somehow um and yeah so definitely like around boundaries and I've definitely found for my clients they want to know where I'm from they want to know where my family is they want to know these kind of things about me because they're trying to place me in like where I fit in their like their world and like you know I've watched it I've watched it happen with clients like day in day out like we'll be around town and they'll be like that's my guardians so like that's my like mother-in-law sister-in-law cousin whatever um and 
they do it with practitioners as well just to see where they can place you and like we obviously have we also have like aboriginal um community engagement workers and case managers and all those kind of things so they're always trying to like place you where you fit um so that's been really different because when i worked in melbourne i didn't tell anybody where i lived where my family was from nothing like that at all very very different and i don't think people asked when i was in melbourne i just my clients were never like where are you from Mm. that wasn't that wasn't really part of Whereas it's like the second question out of people's mouths up here. Where are you from? Um, and yeah, around like boundaries and confidentiality, like between services and it's really, really hard. And like I've had clients that like don't want to be seen out with me because like what if their auntie or family member sees them and then they'll know that they're seeing a the mental health person and then, you know. <laughs> And they don't want to walk into the building. Like it's just the level of complexity that you just you don't even like now. Like now it's second nature. Now it just makes sense. And I'm like, okay, cool, whatever. But when I started, I was like, you mean what? And you can't talk to this person and walk into this room because of this. And yeah, we're lucky in Catherine that we now have like other GP clinics. But for a while there. Um, we had no GP clinic for people who were non-Aboriginal. So all of us who work at the service that I do had to go to the clinic and, like, see doctors and nurses and people who literally are our colleagues, which is a very, very strange thing. And, yeah, like, you go in for, like, something that's, you know, personal to you and you're, like, talking to a colleague that you might see at a meeting next week. So, um, yeah, it's like there's a lack of choice. Like there's no private mental health services in Catherine or anything like that. Like, so, yeah, there's definitely a limited range of choice. And, yeah, boundaries come very differently. So have you found some workarounds for that? Like how do you um navigate that space you know do you have um supervisors who are maybe external via telehealth are you engaged now that telehealth is becoming a lot more accessible and, and feeling more comfortable for people how do you personally kind of um stay connected to community but also have that privacy and have that sort of space outside to really just share what's going on for you yeah so i get external supervision and i started that when i moved to Catherine um, and started working with an external supervisor who lived in a remote community, so had been around Catherine, had been around Darwin, kind of knew what I was dealing with. Um, and then, unfortunately, she went on mat leave. So I found someone else who had also <laughs> done a similar thing. Um, and, yeah, I found external supervision, like, invaluable up here, especially, like, I work in a service where... I am technically the most senior social worker. No, I am. I am the most senior social worker. Um, and like, we only have currently have two social workers. Um, and my organ and like, we also, um, where I work, we get external like supervision from the peak body for Aboriginal health services. Um, so we also get that, which is very helpful. Um, so yeah, like that external supervision, like I would not still be in Catherine without the external supervision I've had um, through the workplaces that I've been in. 
um, because yeah, it's, yeah, you definitely need like an external place. And I think even if I was to move back to Melbourne or somewhere where like I could actually get supervision in my workplace, I would continue external supervision. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big advocate for that. I, um, I personally have uh, two supervisors and three groups that I'm a part of, but I, um, I think it's really important for your own um, learning and support and also having someone who's understands the industry, but not your direct line manager or in that service. I think it's so valuable and it means you can kind of keep that connection with them through multiple jobs and they can see your progress. Whereas if, you know, you're just relying solely on line management, um, I know, I feel like you, you don't, you can't kind of say you're struggling in the same way. And sometimes it's more around caseload allocation or tick boxing rather than um, growth and learning and vicarious trauma and burnout prevention. Like how does that fit with your experience? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I've actually never in the NT had supervision by my line manager. That's, I don't know if it's just an NT thing, um, but supervision by line managers is not really something that I've heard happen a lot up here. Um, and my line managers, so like I currently get no line supervision from my manager um, and in my previous role got very, very little. Um, so as a like self-preservation measure, I went, went to external supervision um, because I really, really enjoy the work that I do um, and I wasn't being supported fully enough in the like workplaces that I was in. So as a yeah, self-preservation, I decided to get external supervision. Um, all my workplaces have been aware that I get it. Um, they will refuse to pay for it, but <laughs> what can you do? Are you, are you part of any groups? Um, do you have sort of group supervision or peer-based supervision? Um, any of your maybe students that you graduated with? Um, not formally, but I have a couple of friends down in Melbourne who um, through work and through study um, are still social workers and, like, we definitely debrief quite a lot around what's, like, supervision stuff, like, both ways. Um, and then in Catherine, we have a social work group, like an AASW um, social work thing. Um, and we're starting a um, mental health accreditation group so we can all try and get mental health accredited. Oh, excellent. Um, yeah. And there's a couple that have started who are nearly done and there's a couple of us who need to start. Um, and do it. Um, so yeah, we have a social. Yeah, there is definitely a good social work base in Catherine. We can't necessarily talk about clients and stuff like that because it's too like close. Um, and lots of our clients cross over or family members or yeah. Um, so we can't really talk about client stuff, but we can definitely talk about context and like systemic issues that we're all facing. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's good to hear. Um, you've got some social workers, power in numbers. Yeah. <laughs> Any other kind of big standout differences? Um, like it's such a huge um, change in, in scenery, in culture, in community, in workplace. Um, 
you know, are there any sort of, how you found that relocation and the transition? The first six months were really, 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 really hard. Um, yeah, I think once you find your people and once you find things outside of work, it gets better. Um, so, like, I forced myself out. I Like, you know, I now go to, like, art group. Like, there's an open art studio and play sport and, like, force myself to go to, like, young professional, like, things and, like, anything that was happening, even if I didn't want to, because where I worked, I was so isolated when I first got here. Like, I didn't have colleagues. Um, <laughs> so it was kind of that or, like, not survive. Um and yeah, the like relocation, like Catherine, like working where I work has so many like benefits. Like it takes me five minutes to get to work. I can come home for lunch every day. I live in a beautiful part of the world. You know, I can get to beautiful waterfalls, hot springs, you know, leaving my door. Um, but there's also differences. Like I can't, like the shops close at 10 p.m. Um, they're not open like late on public holidays <laughs> and we only just got a k-hub uh, like yeah there's like the you know my car like you can't get things fixed and you have to go to darwin to get things so it's yeah it's a it's definitely an adjustment i'm not sure how i'd go going back to melbourne i used to commute like an hour hour 15 minutes <laughs> to work every day and now I do five minutes. And, like, yeah, the lifestyle definitely has perks. Like, you know, it's different, like, getting used to seeing clients outside of work and past clients and ex-clients and, like, you know, you go out for dinner and there's people everywhere um, that you know or know of and, like, people waving you on the street. <laughs> like, I went for a walk last night and my client waved at me as I was on my walk. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's about, I think, I think for me, it's keeping boundaries that I, it's like my clients don't, I think, how am I going to write to say this right? I think if you take in consideration, like the cultural context of where I am and the clients that I work with and see like you being someone's worker kind of invites you into that person's like family circle right um and like I've got to meet aunties uncles grandparents children grandchildren of my clients just because people travel and people are transient and they come in and they go and it's really really lovely to be able to do that and to get to see an insight into people's lives outside of, you know, where they, like, just the office. Like, I actually probably only see, like, 10% I pay clients in my office. I see them in their houses, out the front of their houses, <laughs> at Woolies, you know. Um, and, like, it's a real, real privilege to do what I do and to see what I see and to be able to go into communities and to learn about culture and language. So, like, my clients predominantly speak Creole. 
which is like one of the largest um, Aboriginal languages up here. And, you know, I went on a Creole course and I now understand like all most spoken Creole and can talk to my clients in Creole. And although they laugh at me, they know that I'm trying and that I want to learn and learning about their culture and, you know, where they fit like skin and culture wise and practices. And yeah, that's been, I've been really lucky. Amazing. It sounds like such a rich learning environment. Um, the number of challenges, a lot of stresses, but um, also just such a rich environment. Yeah, it's been, yeah, like I'm just lucky that I kind of took that chance. Like, you know, I was feeling quite burnt out in Melbourne working in homelessness with zero housing and was like, I'll just apply for this job. They won't hire me and then you know, four weeks later, I started my job in the NT. Wow. And I've been here 18 months. It's incredible. Would you do it again? Yeah. Yeah. What advice do you have for people, you know, thinking about um, taking a job interstate and going somewhere rural? I think... It opens so many doors and gives you so many opportunities. Like the roles that I've been in yeah, been in, in the NT are roles that, you know, new grads often don't get in Melbourne. Um, and there are also roles that often don't exist due to like funding differences and things like that. And I think it gives you a lot of autonomy. It's a really, really steep learning curve, but you learn a lot really quickly and if you're able to get like good supervision um you'll probably fall in love with the people in the place and not want to leave any other um kind of selling points any you know tips for people who want to come across It's just, like, amazing experience. You get to be in, like, where I work, I'm immersed in, like, a different culture. Like, one of the most, you know, like, longest living cultures in the world. Um, I've learned a new language. Like, how often do you learn a new language in the place that you work? Um, and, you know, I'm actually able to, like, converse <laughs> with my clients in a completely new language. And, yeah, it's, like... The lifestyle, like, you know, five minutes to and from work, I get, so I've got like three extra hours a day. Um, the weather, like it does get hot. Like it, it definitely does get hot, but it's, you know, you're so close to so many like natural like places that are beautiful, like waterfalls. I can go to the hot springs that are, literally a 15 minute walk from my house and like like you know I did a placement in Broken Hill and I felt the same thing like it was beautiful I love the rural pace of life and if you make it you can make it great That's wonderful um if people have any kind of questions or um you know want to know more what are some resources or, or things they can do how can they kind of see if it's a good fit for them um, I always recommend that people read, if they're coming up to the NT specifically, Cardia are like Toyotas. It's a, um, not necessarily a journal article, but 
it's a really good insight into why burnout and people leave working in um, like Aboriginal predominant contexts. Um, I think visiting is also kind of helpful. Like before I came to the NT, I had actually volunteered in remote communities running a softball program. So I'd kind of had a bit of a taste of it, like at least like what to kind of expect. And I think even from visiting, you can kind of see if you're looking around the context and stuff like that. Um, what else did I do before I came up? I just Googled everything I could until, until I could find anything about anything. Um, which is why I'm doing this because I wanted more stuff out there for people to be able to listen to. Oh, excellent. And you did, you mentioned that you joined a softball group. So how did you kind of go networking and, and just making friends and, and building up that, um, you know, your personal life there? Yeah. So yeah, I joined a softball team. Um, cause I played softball in Melbourne. So when I came up here, I really wanted to play softball. Um, and like, obviously my first year in the NT was, um, impacted by COVID a lot. Um, we also shut down. I worked from home. Like there was all those kind of things. So it was about like finding, finding the things. And if you look hard enough, like, so I go, like there's an art group. Um, we have like Catherine Film Society. Like it's just about like, unfortunately, having to like go out and like go to things and actually talk to people. Um, I networked a lot through work. So every time, especially when I first started, I was working in the office alone, but I was outreaching to schools. So I made a point of like building relationships with the teachers of the kids that I counselled. Um, and in my experience, everyone was new once and they, they all really know what it's like to be new and not know people. Um, and like people, and especially where I live, it's not weird to like bring someone random to a dinner, a party, whatever. Like that's not a strange thing. Um, and there's always new people. And then once you, you just have to like keep those connections going and like, you know, there's a really strong network of young professionals in Catherine, um, like, like um, lawyers, teachers and um, like community services people are kind of the biggest groups. And yeah, once you get in, you're in and, you know, yeah, I have good relationships through art. There's like festivals and like all those kind of things. So you just have to keep at it and be open to yeah sounds like a lot of putting yourself out there which is often what we uh we tell the the clients or the the service users that we we work with but um as long as we have to practice what we preach and be vulnerable and exposed and feel new and scared and um you know put on our brave face and get in there yeah for sure yeah going to professional networking events um and yeah I think Catherine is really like aware that it has a lot of new people quite regularly um and last year there were like professional networking events that you know people like I was able to go to and like meet people I run a drumming group for a bit (laughs) like an outside of work like fun drumming group with like the drum beat drums (laughs) and yeah done a lot of things kind of build up my network and now I have a really good network of people 
Oh, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. Do you have any kind of parting kind of, you know, uh, words of wisdom or something for our listeners? Rural and remote work is amazing and it, you know, it's scary leaving everything, you know, like I've lived, I lived in Melbourne in the same house for like 20, I don't know, 22 years, right? And then I basically moved to the VNT across the other side of the country. I'm 40 hours driving away from my home and my family and the friends that I've known. But if you don't take the risk, you're never going to know. And like, yeah, it's not for everybody, right? But it definitely attracts really, really like-minded people and the experiences and the knowledge and like the privilege it is to work up here and to work with the people that I do on the lands that I do and to learn what I know is like invaluable. It's something that I'm going to have with me for the rest of my career. Like I'm two years in and I plan, fingers crossed, to be a social worker for a long time and yeah it's just like it's give it a go like give it a go you awesome. might be surprised thanks so much and I'll grab that article off you um that you mentioned I'll put it in the show notes as well so if people yeah. want to check it out they can do that yeah yeah thanks so much for your time awesome thank you